0: This is why it says when he ascended on high he took many captives and gave gifts to his people what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Uh, thank you, Richard,
1: very much. Well, how do churches grow? Well, we've, uh, <clears throat> I think we've got the answer here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 7 to 16. So let's pray and ask God to help us to see. please would you open our our minds and hearts to your word tonight and please would you speak to us and help us to answer that question we pray and we ask Lord it would help us grow as a church for Jesus sake Amen So I'm a bit croaky, just imagine what would have happened if England had played uh, both halves of the match rather than just the second half this afternoon so, uh, how do churches grow? Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. That's the question for this evening. And uh, uh, it's not a, a lecture, it's not an academic exercise. There were plenty of people 20, 30 years ago in theological colleges uh, doing lectures on church growth and so on. Uh, but this isn't it. We're simply going to look at the Bible from Ephesians 4 and verses 7 to 16 to answer that question. But, but how do churches grow, do you think? Or I mean, is it... What is required? Is it, is it great leadership? Compelling vision? Terrific music? Wonderful preaching? Second and unpastoral care? What is it? Why do churches grow? How can, how does it happen? And anyway, what do we mean by growing? I mean, what do we mean by, I mean, I it's naturally when I ask the question, you're probably thinking, well, uh, numbers having more people coming through the doors and so on. Um, So we get bigger and maybe have to start more services or we have to plant another congregation or whatever. Um, But uh, it could also mean growing in maturity or growing in understanding or growing in our love for each other or growing in tolerance and unity or growing in love for Jesus or growing in our spiritual passion. How do churches grow and what does it mean? Well, I hope it was one of our prayers at the start of this year that during uh, 2020 uh, that we would grow as individually and that we would grow as a church. Uh, Perhaps in numbers, I hope it would be in numbers, but also I'd hope in maturity in understanding, in love, in passion and so on. But how does that happen? How does it happen biblically? Well, the first and fundamental thing we need to say is this. That uh, uh, it is Christ who makes churches grow. If we want to grow, it's not down to us at the end of the day. Christ makes churches grow. Uh, one of our top goals. For this year, uh, if you've got, you've got one of these, our verse card and the top goals on the back. And the first, the top one, uh, number one, we've got number one and number two. Number one is the Bible teaching goal. Lives transformed by God through the application of great Bible teaching, uh, week by week. But that won't make BH grow, just great Bible teaching. Nor will the music. Nor will having, nor will having, you know, spending more money on the AV. Uh, Uh, nor will having great organisation or anything like that. We want to have those things, yes. But uh, uh, the fundamental truth is that we must not forget is this. Christ makes churches grow. That's the way it works. It's not down to us and how wonderful we can be. Now over the years, uh, I must have spoken on this passage quite a number of times, but I've never really noticed before I should have done, but I don't think I have, the number of times Christ comes here. If you just glance through the passage, he's there in verse 7, and verses 8 to 10, and 11, and 12, and 13, and 15, and 16. Uh, It should be pretty obvious, shouldn't it? That's every verse apart from verse 14. This is a passage about growth. And uh, uh, whether it's within one little local church or a group of churches that were there in Ephesus, we're not quite sure how it worked out there, but it's about growing. It's about growing numbers and and depth and maturity and all the rest of it, uh, and therefore growing from that to unity together. So he's talking about a growth that goes on through the life of the church until we come more and more united with each other. Now, we've just had a a week ago the the week of prayer for Christian unity. Not a bad thing that we should pray for Christians to be united. But in this passage, the unity uh, between Christians and the maturity of Christians are all bound up together. It's like you're in one bundle, okay? The growth uh, of um, unity between Christians and the maturity of Christians. They're all completely wrapped up together with each other. In other words, you will never be united with other Christians unless you are growing to maturity as a Christian. So it's pointless just praying for Christian unity unless we're actually also praying for our own maturity as Christians. And that comes from Christ, as we're going to see, because Christ makes churches grow. It's Christ who brings maturity to the body. It's Christ who will bring in more numbers and all the rest of it. And, of course, if we believe that it's Christ who makes churches grow, what are we going to do about it? You know, pray for it. You're going know, to pray that he would indeed do that. He would indeed be at work in our midst. And, and, uh, and as we do that... We'll be saying, Lord, please may BH grow in uh, our maturity, in our unity, in our evangelism, in our understanding, in our spiritual health, in our numbers. Would you pray for that every day? It'd be a good thing to pray, wouldn't it, every day, this year and then beyond. And it'd be good too. Let's have another push on our prayer meeting, because we want people to come together to pray. And would you pray for it in your small groups? But come together and pray. Uh, as we do uh, our second Wednesday of every month. Make that a priority. Wednesday the 12th of February is our next one. So do come and pray, either lunchtime or in the evening or both. That's the fundamental thing we need to uh, start off by saying. It is Christ who makes churches grow. So pray for it. Second thing I want to say is this. Uh, churches grow through People. People. So, it is Christ who does it, but he does it through the likes of you and me. And, uh, uh, and first of all, the, the sort of subpoint here is people with gifts. Now, I need to mention verses 8 to 10 here, because that all looks a bit complicated and so on. I'm not going to spend much time there, just briefly to say, it's basically saying, Jesus died for us. Jesus came to this earth and he died for us. So, for instance, the beginning of verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended high. Well, the beginning there, he's talking about Jesus' death, and then a number of times here, he talks about Jesus ascending. That is when he has come down to earth and he's died for us, and then he has ascended back to heaven. And so it is the risen and the ascended Lord Jesus who gives his spirit and gives gifts so his church here may grow. Or, as verse 7 says, if you want to phrase it in that way, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given by Christ. These gifts are given by Christ so that the church may grow to each one of us. So, actually, the gifts that it talks about, predominantly here in verse 11, just, we're going to focus on verse 11 in just a moment. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So, the, uh, the gifts he's, he's, given, he's talking about there are gifts that are given to us as the church. Not to all of us. It's not that everyone here is an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, or whatever, but they are given to all of us, as I'll explain in just a moment. Now, you have a look at verse 11 again. There are those four gifts. Christ himself gave the risen Christ, this is the ascended Christ. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Those four different gifts there. You may not be any of those, okay? None of us are apostles, because the apostles were there in the first century. It was their responsibility to formulate the gospel, to write it down. They've given authority by Jesus to write down the New Testament for us, to finish the Bible for us. No apostles in that sense anymore. And some churches call their pastor an apostle. They can do it if you like. Personally, I think that's a bit confusing. Let's keep apostles in the New Testament. No apostles anymore. We are an apostolic church because we follow the doctrine of the first century apostles. But what it says in verse 11 is the apostles who were then, and in these days, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers, they are God's gift to us all. They're part of God's grace to us. And let's look at it in a little bit more detail. People with gifts, but also not just people with gifts, but uh, we're talking about different gifts. Now, I've mentioned the apostles uh, already. They're there. Uh, And those are part of the people that God has given us as gifts to us, so that we may grow. Next, he talks about the prophets. There are people amongst us here who are prophets. Don't be afraid to use the word, okay? A prophet is someone who is able to take and explain the Bible and help us to apply it to our lives. That means, if I'm doing a good job tonight, I am prophesying. I am a prophet. That means in your small group, if someone helps you to understand the Bible and apply it to your life, they're a prophet. It means maybe over coffee here. If someone is taking the Bible and helping you to apply it to your life, they're a prophet. In your uh, small group, one-to-one, maybe you're doing a one-to-one, you're looking at the Bible, they help you to understand the Bible to your life, they're a prophet, okay? They're prophesying. It's no big deal. It's not something very, very special in terms of, you know, you must be all these wonderful people. Just ordinary, everyday Christians. We've got loads of prophets here, okay? Taking the Bible, helping people to apply it to our lives. And... Uh, uh, So, as far as I'm doing that now, I'm a prophet. Now, some churches say a prophet is someone who has a word from the Lord about a particular situation, and it often comes in the form of a picture, or even a riddle, quite why God should speak to us in riddles, I don't know. It seems to me uh, he he wants to communicate clearly. Or something which sounds like a psalm. Well, God may do that, and He may choose to speak to folks in that way, but it's not what the Bible and New Testament means by prophecy. Prophecy is explaining and applying the Bible. Then there are evangelists in verse 11. And that's, in, that's those who are, uh, those who are able to engage unbelievers with the truth of the gospel. And there's a bit more to that, but we'll come to that in a moment. And then there are the pastor-teachers. Now, have a look at verse 11 uh, carefully. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and he doesn't say the teachers because there's no the in the original. So we think it probably is the pastor-teacher. It's one person who is the pastor-teacher. And uh, uh, and that person is uh, is a very important uh, is a very important person because they will uh, be able to teach the Bible and take from the Bible in their pastoral care. Our eldest son Chris, uh, we were up there just recently, and uh, uh, and he said they've been given this book. They've uh, uh, had some challenges with uh, William, their son, our grandson, and uh, uh, their um, vicar, early Trinity, Norwich, Richard. Uh, had given them this book, Tumbling Sky. And Chris said, this is a great book. I opened it up, and what is it? It's the Bible, uh, it's Psalms, and uh, about a page of, uh, uh, of just helping people to apply that to are going through uh, difficult times. So I'm going to read that, um, and uh, I imagine I'll be recommending it. If my son recommends it, then I ought to recommend it too, shouldn't I? So, but this is, uh, but th- I thank God for Richard, their vicar, actually pointing Chris and Sarah to the Bible. And a book which helps them to, to see and to understand the Bible. He's being a pastor, teacher there. So, those people, different gifts, uh, are a gift of God to the church. And as someone said, these aren't abilities given to people, but people given to the church. These aren't abilities given to people, but people given to the church. So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers, they're people given to the church that we may grow. And have you noticed something else about them? They're not just people with gifts, but they're uh, word gifts.
0: You notice they're all about
1: the communication of God's word, the Bible. So the Bible must be absolutely central to our church gripping. Because he's gifted the church with people. They are able to help us to understand it, to apply the Bible, to help us to tell the truth of the Bible to others, to care for and support one another with truth from the Bible. So we'll always turn to the Bible. We'll want to read the Bible daily. We'll want to have the Bible on us. Uh, on your phone, most likely. If you haven't got the Bible on your phone, I want to suggest you probably should have if you're a Christian. It's a good thing. Either that or just have a Bible with you. But, uh, you know, know, there are free Bible apps and so on. You can go to the App Store tonight and get one. But they're word gifts. They're all word gifts, all of them. That little picture there, you can get those things on the internet, can't you? Which have got, you know, put those words in there. And uh, our cat gave me one. That's not it, by the way. And... uh, (laughs) Okay, then people with gifts, and the third thing here is equipped to equip. Now, if you're a if you want to go mountain biking, you've got to have a mountain bike, okay? And if you look at him, he's uh, uh, he's got a helmet and he's got goggles on. Why on earth are you cycling across there anyway? But uh, I, hopefully he's got a life jacket and all the rest of that. But uh, he's equipped. Now, the people in verse 11 are gifts to the church, and they are equipped by God. To equip. They are equipped by God to equip. So, look on at verse 12. To equip, so you've got these four groups of people, uh, one historic, but still relevant now, the apostles and the three other groups, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, equip is actually, the word equip there, it's actually a noun. And it means uh, uh, completion or restoration. So, if we want the church to be completed, or perhaps restored, then we must be having those uh, gifts used, so that we will be equipping the church for works of service. So, this church will not be completed until those who are gifted as prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers are helping and equipping us to be prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. So it means, if you've got the gift of evangelism, if you find that actually you talk to people easily about Jesus and through you, uh, from time to time, or maybe a lot, people come to faith, that's marvellous, that's fantastic. But you want to help others to do it as well. That's what it means. You don't just do it, you help and equip other people to do it. Or if you've got the gift of uh, Uh, as a pastor-teacher, you won't be doing it properly unless you're training others to be pastor-teachers too. And if you're a prophet, the ability to help and apply the Bible to people's lives, you won't be doing it properly unless you're helping other people to do it as well. Unless you're equipping them, equipped to equip. And that's why, for instance, we've got a big emphasis on Bible teaching this year because I don't think we've done that very well over the last few years I've fallen short with that because I haven't been equipping people to be prophets, to be Bible teachers and uh, we're going to be playing a bit of catch up this year, we need to do that and we all need to uh, uh, encourage our prophets evangelists and pastor teachers amongst us, people like your small group leader people like your KO leaders People like feast leaders, people like Tim and me and uh, uh, those who work amongst our children, for instance. We need to be encouraging them to be doing verse 12, to be equipping other children's leaders, to be equipping and training the next generation of small group leaders and so on and it's actually I think it's a really good question uh, on the PCC to ask someone who would come and give us a report about what's going on in the ministry of the church here Holy Cross or Goldstone to say are you doing Ephesians 4 verse 12 are you equipping the next generation are you equipping those who come after you so how do churches grow fundamental thing is Christ makes churches grow And he does it through people, that is, people with gifts, different gifts. They're all word gifts here, and they're all equipped to equip. They're gifts which were meant to enable other people to use as well. But also churches grow, it's not just people with gifts, but it's people who serve. In verse 12 there. So we've got the apostles, and then in local churches here, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor-teachers, who equip God's people to, verse 12, for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up and grow. Now, what does it tell us here? First of all, I love that gift that guy has, taking photographs of little girl. Anyway, everyone serving, everyone serving. Look at verse um, 7, that to each one of us grace has been given. And uh, that grace comes through those who are gifted, and then to us in the church, that's the grace that comes through the evangelists, the prophets, the apostles, the pastors, the teachers, to us. And the idea is so that we may get involved in works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up, may grow. Um, uh, And then, I mean, imagine the annex. Imagine the Amex, 28,000 people or so, isn't it, watching 22 do all the work. And now that can be uh, a bit of a picture of the church. And if it is, I have to say it's not a picture here, but if it were, then something is properly wrong, isn't it? Because in the church, everyone's on the pitch. Everyone. We all serve. We're not meant to be consumers, We're meant to be contributors. It's not that ministry is done to us. Ministry is done by all of us. That's the way the church works. The church really isn't designed for you to come along week by week and do nothing to help. It really isn't. We're all on the pitch. We're not just members. We're ministers. If you're a Christian, you are a minister. You are a servant. Now, we have so many who serve here at BH. If I stopped to make a list of everyone who's been involved in preparing for this service, cleaning the church building, working in the office, on the music, on the welcome team, and all the rest of it, it's a huge number. It's really encouraging. At the same time, we want to uh, expand our core. And uh, encourage more people to be involved serving. It's a bit like um, uh, JFK. What is, was it? His inaugural address as president JFK, and he said, uh, "Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country." Well, replace country with church. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. That's what it's really about. Now, uh, everyone's serving. The next thing uh, is just a, a small thing, but just to say this, everyone's serving the church. Everyone's serving the church. Everyone putting their hand up and saying, yep, I'll get involved. And I'll get involved here. Now, just to say, this passage is about the church. This passage is about how churches grow, okay, in all sorts of ways, numbers and all the rest of it that we said at the beginning. And, uh, uh, sometimes you hear Christian people say, well, I'm serving in my community, I'm serving, for instance, at Alderman School, why not? Uh, Or I'm serving, uh, I'm on a uh, parents group down uh, at Goldstone School, or or whatever it would be, I'm serving in my neighbourhood, I'm serving in my company, but I've not really got any time to serve at church. Or sometimes people would say, well, I'm serving in a Christian organisation, so I just come here uh, to be fed. The trouble is, I don't really think Ephesians 4 uh, allows you to say or oh, do that. Uh, I used to work for a Christian organization. I used to work with Cypher, uh, the youth work organization. And, uh, but Anna and I also served in our local churches. We, we served in two different ones. Started up two youth groups. Had a meeting at our home. We'd do a training weekend. I remember once Anna and I had been down in Devon somewhere or other doing a training weekend and we came back got home at about 3 minutes past 8 to our house the youth group were waiting on the doorstep we would just driven 4 hours back from Devon after an exhausting training weekend uh, and uh, just stopped the car took a deep breath, got out hi guys, great, come in actually John, can you come and help us enter the car take the boxes up to my study which is on the second floor could you do that Uh, Amy, could you put the kettle on that would be great and we'll be with you in about five minutes so let's get going and we had had another hour and a half two hours uh, of stuff before we could uh, get to bed but that's what we do you serve, don't you that's what it's about that's the business now uh, it's good that Christians serves in other places, that's good. But I think this is talking about how we serve in our church, and it talks about everyone being involved. And the result? What happens as a result of this? Well, the result is genuine maturity. Genuine maturity. That's the first one. Verse 14. Now, verse 14 is talking about infants, it's talking about immaturity, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and crashness of people in their deceitful scheming. Uh, someone talks about the gusts of theological distortion. I quite like the little phrase. Um, and there, when it says scheming, deceitful scheming, it's literally manipulation. It's deliberate, dishonest, Manipulation and we're very good at following the latest craze, aren't we? You know, the iPhone, whatever, electric cars, they're all good, good things, aren't they? Actually, I think hydrogen cars are probably the way forward in the end, aren't they? But, uh, uh, but we do it, and we do it with Christian things, where in the, in the 1990s it was uh, Toronto and then Pensacola and then the Kansas City profits, and these days it's all about going over to Bethel and California and so on and having the experience over there. And uh, we have to be careful, though, that we're not just going after the latest... It is craze and nothing more. And the Bible says, look, if you're being tossed to and fro by, well, anything really, then uh, you're immature. It says you're an infant. You need to grow up. But there is an alternative. It says, instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love because we've been helped by our pastor teachers and by our evangelists and by our prophets and by the apostles in the first century because we've know our Bibles and we've been taught and we've learned in our small groups and our sermons and so on. Instead we can well literally it says truth in love, truthing in love instead truthing in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him Who is the head? You see, we're not meant, we're not designed to be tossed back and forth like a rowing boat in a storm. We're not meant to be conned and taken in by deceitful spiritual charlatans and kidnappers. instead, and this tells us that we need to do it, don't leave it to other people. We need to be truthing in love. We need to be talking with one another. We need to be speaking the Bible. We need to be pastor teachers. We need to be prophets with each other. So we apply the Bible to one another's lives. And we ask help to do that. And verse 15 it says, Christ is our head, our leader, our authority. He's also uh, our source in verse 16. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. In love, as each part, that's you included, does its work. And as a church, therefore, we help one another grow to maturity. Knowing what we believe, knowing why we believe it, loving Jesus more every day, working, serving, at least in the church, and I would hope in other areas too, I'd hope in other areas too not just here but out and about in the community at Aldrington with Off the Fence and so on with the city mission and all the rest of it and happy and hungry to learn and to grow and to help others find the one who's found us that is genuine maturity and it walks hand in hand and results also in genuine unity and this is talking about unity within the church And we will never be truly united here unless we're truly and genuinely growing to maturity in our faith. Both unity and maturity are down to every one, single one of us. Verse 16, the whole body, every supporting ligament, each part doing its work. BH needs you. That's the way it is. We need you to be here. We need you to be involved. We need you to serve. We need you to work. And we will never be properly united as a church. And we will never be properly mature unless you're involved. Serving, working, growing to become more like Jesus. How do churches grow? Christ makes churches grow through people. People who are a gift to the church and people who serve. And the result is wonderful. The result is a mature church. And the result is a united church. Let's pray. Lord, please would you help us to grow We know that's your work. We pray you'll do your work amongst us and please help us to grow to maturity and unity. And thank you, Lord, for those you have gifted us with to help us to do just that. Amen.